This is Martyr She Wrote, and I'm Anna Clark Miller, a religious trauma therapist. This podcast is for survivors of religious trauma and abuse, so consider this your trigger warning. If you want to learn more or support the podcast financially, check out my new book called The Religious Trauma Survival Guide. Details are at empathyparadigm.com. Don't worry, though, you can still listen even if you haven't contributed financially. <laughs> Let's dive into a topic that's serious as hell. Hey, martyrs, before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know I am going to take a little break from releasing episodes for the holidays, but don't worry, we will be back with lots of really exciting content, and so stay tuned. Martyrs, welcome. Today's episode is a special one, as it always is, but a member of my chosen family is actually joining me today. He's one of my best friends. This is Cody Moncrief. Cody, I'm glad to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Definitely excited to talk about all things religious trauma. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a fun, fun topic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you've been around for a lot of like my deconstruction. And so I know that you've heard a lot on my thoughts and feelings about religious trauma and deconstruction, but I know that you have also had quite a few experiences of your own, and I think they're a slightly different perspective than some of the other perspectives that we've had on the show so far. Tell us a little bit, like, what's your involvement in religion been in the past? Sure. So started at a very young age, you know, earliest memories. I remember going to church. We were pretty involved in it. Primarily went to Southern Baptist churches, you know, being in the good old Mm -hmm. South, very small town, had maybe five, 600 people in the town. And so pretty much everyone knew everyone. Um, So it was one of those things. If you didn't go to church, then everyone else in town knew. And that was just something that people would talk about. But yeah, grew up in the church. Once I sort of hit 12, 13 years old, I started exploring out a little bit, had gone to a non-denominational church, which was a complete 180 from Southern Baptist. So uh, went there for about a year, I would say. It was sort of tied to the Christian school I was going to at that time, which is why I went. But so went there for about a year. And then once I sort of hit high school age, I went back into Southern Baptist churches because the next Christian school I went to was more affiliated with that. And that's where all my friends were going as well. Okay. Was that like private Christian school? Yes. So I went to public school my first three years, you know, kindergarten through second, and then third through six, I was homeschooled. And then seventh grade, I went to a very small private Christian school. I think there were like 10 of us in the entire school. I was like the only person in my grade, one of those things. Um, And then eighth grade on, I went to the same Christian school. It's a little bit bigger. We had maybe about 20 to 30 people in my grade specifically. Okay. But it sounds like with both of the Christian schools, there was kind of this expectation that you didn't just go to school there. You also went to the affiliated church or whatever. Yeah, I wasn't expected. The one that I went to my seventh grade year was within the church itself. So that was a little bit, you know, harder to get away from it. But 
my eighth grade on Christian school, it had an affiliated church, even though it technically wasn't affiliated, but that's pretty much where everyone went because again, it was a smaller town. And so it was probably the biggest Baptist church in the town. So a majority of people went there, but yeah, so you weren't expected, but you know, being in a Christian school, you also have your Wednesday chapels and things that you still had to attend. So you're still getting it, you know, even though you weren't attending the actual church itself. Right. Right. So like, I know that in some sort of Southern small towns, Christianity can be more like a cultural thing than necessarily like a belief thing. Did you notice any sort of difference in how seriously people took it or if they just kind of felt like, yeah, this is the cool thing? Yeah, I would say a lot of it was cultural, maybe a little bit appearance-based, you know, you don't want to be judged for not going to church and, you know, you sort of had a reputation to uphold per se. And so like with my parents, you know, there were a lot of things that they would hide, whether it was even just smoking cigarettes, they would hide that, you know, from everyone in church. So yeah, so it's definitely a lot of appearance-based things. So I felt like that was more what drove my family attending specifically. And I would assume probably most people, or at least some, probably for the same reasons. Yeah. So immediately I'm thinking about like what messages you heard about being gay or being queer. Like what kinds of things did you hear growing up, maybe even before you had grappled with your own identity? So I don't remember a lot of sermons about it. So it was something that was very rarely spoken about. But obviously, if something, you know, was found out, then it would be an issue. I always knew that sort of in the back of my head. So I think my first experience with, you know, homophobia actually came from probably my childhood best friend and not church. Because I knew that like I was attracted to guys, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Like I'd never been taught or had heard of it. So I didn't have like a label for it or really understood what it was. I just knew that it was what it was. And so I didn't realize until me and my childhood best friend had a fight. And then he called me gay. And I was like, hey, what is gay? And I like, didn't understand it. And then I like, Google it. This is, you know, about the time the internet was getting (laughs) up and running and things. So um, Googled it. And of course, not great things came up, but I at least had a word for it at that point. And that that word had a negative connotation specifically whenever you're called that. But, you know, that was my first negative experience with being called gay. Yeah. Did you have any experiences in religious groups where that was like overt homophobia? I would say there may have been a couple of sermons that I recall. I remember the private school I went to, there being at least one sermon that touched on being gay and how it was wrong and everything. Mm. Um, you know, growing up, I, I very vaguely recall younger than that, seeing or hearing a sermon that was about being gay and how it was wrong but not too much that was overtly. I did have an experience as an adult when I very clearly knew that I was gay. Um, I was probably 19 or 20 years old at the time. 
I was hanging out with one of my best friends at the time and we we're with um, basically a church leader that he worked for. And I remember it just randomly coming up and the church leader basically was like, you know, hey, you know, being gay is wrong. And it wasn't directed at me. It was just like mm. this thing he wanted to say, but just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he was saying it. Was it because he suspected me? Was it because of something maybe my best friend confided in him and and he was trying to do this weird accountability thing? I have no idea. But those are the ones that stick with me most as far as coming from the church itself. But a lot of the homophobia and things came more from people of my own age of, you know, suspecting that you're gay or I heard a lot of just talk about it from friends and things, but I can't really recall aside from that one childhood best friend incident, you know, any of my other friends using it as a slur essentially. Yeah. Did you have a lot of like fear or paranoia about like being found out? Yeah. So, you know, in doing research online and what is, you know, what is being gay and how it goes with the Bible, obviously there's a lot of very anti-gay things that can be said online about it. And so I think a lot of it was research I had done on my own that I'd found and starting to believe it and Mm. really internalizing it. So definitely very terrifying. There was a very long period of time where I really didn't even talk because I was worried that my voice itself would give away being gay because at the time I had a more feminine voice and sometimes would be mistaken as it being a female's voice. And so it was something I really Mm. didn't like about myself because of worrying that that was going to be the giveaway. So I remember my junior year of high school, I actually went to a public school. The one year I differed from the Christian school. Um, I probably said, maybe a handful of sentences the entire year just because wow I did not even being in a public space even seeing gay people being out I just wasn't there myself and so I just was not ready for people to even suspect it and so I just didn't even talk period wow didn't make any friends didn't anything it was horrible and ended up going back to the Christian school despite it being what it was just because I at least had friends there that I could talk to and hang out with and things like that. So yeah, I spent a lot of time not talking and just not allowing anyone in even an inch. Wow. Wow. I think it was just something that I was so closed off about, you know, at that point, probably still believing that it was wrong myself and that it wasn't something that I even wanted to have a conversation about, you know, even if they were accepting, mm-hmm. we're going to be accepting. It wasn't even a bridge I was willing to step on because it was not a conversation I wanted to have. Wow. Yeah. Do you think there were other like religious things that made you feel the need to hide or keep quiet? So I had went to a college in a very small town. A lot of my friends went there. um, And I remember seeing more gay people being out and having to still hide. I had started exploring gay-friendly churches. So I had visited probably two or three different churches that I had researched online that said they were, you know, welcoming of gay people and went. And then I just wasn't feeling the vibe. 
even if they were accepting, I don't a hundred percent know because I wasn't there long enough to yeah. get a good grasp of what that meant or what they meant by that. I realized mm. that probably wasn't the best place for me to be in because I was just reaching that point where it was like, I've known this since I was like 13. I'm now 18, 19 years old. It's just, I'm over it. I can't do it anymore. After that, I was like, I have to get out of here. So after freshman year of college, I moved back home for a year. And then after that, I actually went to university in Dallas. And that's the first place that I actually had like met someone who was gay that I sort of let in a little bit just as a friend and other people around me. And probably a few months into my junior year is when I actually did start coming out to people there at the university. Wow. Okay. How did your family respond? Like what were their views on religion and homosexuality? And like, was that tough coming out to them? I, I don't really recall my family or my parents saying anything that was necessarily anti-gay, you know, obviously being of that generation, sometimes you have things that you say that you aren't aware are harmful Totally. So I'm, I'm sure there was that, but we actually had, even though we're out way out in the country, we actually had neighbors who were gay. Their names were Paul and Clyde and Paul um, and Clyde. I love Paul and Paul Clyde. And Clyde. <laughs> yeah. So they were an older couple and, you know, they had a big farm, a bunch of land and we would go over there and visit them and things. And, and I don't remember what Paul did, but I believe Clyde wasn't like an artist. And so he had like a loft in their barn where he had like his easel and, you know, he would paint and, you know, my parents may have said some things about them that they weren't aware were not politically correct to say, but sure. they at least were around them. They were friendly, you know, they yeah. didn't shield us from them. So, you know, I at least had a little bit of experience with seeing gay people and, and a gay couple, especially as I started coming out though, for me, it was scary. Of course, it's always scary, but at that point, you know, like I said, I sort of reached my breaking point of this has to be done. Yeah. And so I had to reconcile with the fact of if there is a negative response, am I willing to lose my family? And at that point it was yes. Like mm. I can't keep living like this. So if it means my family doesn't accept me, then I'm just going to have to take that chance. And if I lose them, I lose them. Thankfully I didn't have to experience that. But yeah, I didn't necessarily have any negative reactions from my family, you know, overall pretty positive experience. Yeah. So going back to just like your religious experiences, like at what point did you decide not to keep going to church or keep looking for a church? So I think about the time my freshman year of college, after I had visited a couple of those churches that were supposed to be gay friendly, once I left and moved sort of back home my sophomore year of college, I felt like trying to fully accept being gay of myself had to be completely separate from whatever religious belief or whatever I still had. It was just too much trying for me to reconcile both at the same time. And mm. so I needed to completely separate the two in order to accept and just to identify who I am. I have not been able to do that. Yeah. And so I just had to completely separate the two. And after that, I did go to a church probably around 22, 23 years old. Um, it was one of the like 
big gay churches in Dallas, one of the biggest gay churches in the US, whatever the case is. I did go there for a brief stint, but even it being primarily gay, I still felt there was a lot of the like religious dogma and things that I don't like about religion that just even walking in there, I just didn't feel right being there. And so at that point I was like, you know what? I just don't think like organized religion is Mm -hmm. for me. You mentioned like there was some religious dogma and stuff that you didn't like. What are some examples of things other than like views on being gay that rubbed you the wrong way? There was just a lot of things having to do with like attendance, participation, um, you know, tithing, all of these same sort of things that you would experience at any church. Um, I'm not someone who likes to be pressured into things. And I I totally understand, you know, about tithing being in the Bible and the importance of it as far as, you know, I understand that they need money to continue to operate. So I, I totally get it, but it was an every week Mm. warning of we're going to have to shut our doors. And it just started feeling like one of those exaggerations of this is about to happen we need money. And so it was constantly feeling like pressured. And if I didn't do it, then I was going to be responsible for the church closing. And so it was a lot of just that, that I didn't like a lot. And so when I tend to be pressured to do something, I tend to go the other way and close off even more. So I, it takes me a long time to get there of wanting to do something and I have to do it of my own accord. And if I get pressured, I, I go the other way with it. Dude you know, we're like my kindred spirit when it comes to that. Cause I am a hundred percent the same way. It's like, if I sense that someone is trying to like convince me to do something or pressure me or make me feel bad to do something like I'm going to run the other way. Yeah. I mean, it could be a, a very needed cause, but it's just even walking up to me on the street or going into a store and that's someone mm-hmm. asking for money. It's like, I definitely get it. And you know, all that, but it's also partially maybe me being suspicious that that's actually what it's going to or whatever. So I'd much rather be like, Hey, I feel led today to donate to something. I'm going to go online and do it, you know, officially rather than giving it to money to someone on a street that I don't know if it's actually going to that cause. So. Do you think that like any of your religious experiences contributed to that suspiciousness? Like were there people that you were like, "Mm, they don't have good intentions. Um, I think that specifically tied to money, I think that that more so just came from my family's history of mismanagement of money more so than money within a church. But, you know, I think there is a lot of suspicion when it comes to churches, you know, even with my freshman year of college, going to these churches that were said they were gay friendly, but still being suspicious. And even now, you know, me being pretty solid with where I am anytime I see a sign or a bulletin or whatever of oh hey we're welcoming I always am suspicious that it's a bait and switch like why are they trying to get gay people in the church is it Mm -hmm. truly hey we welcome you we just want you to be here to experience God like we experience or is it really I'm trying to get you in the church to try to get you in a program to lead you away from it you know, you just never know what a sign 
that says gays are welcome, what that means. Did you ever experience that or hear stories about people who got that bait and switch thing? I myself have never experienced the bait and switch. I obviously do know people. I mean, you know, my partner, Josh has gone through conversion therapy, bait and switch type programs. You know, I've known other gay friends that have experienced the same thing. You know, a lot of times it's that as like recovery and it's something that's supposed to be helpful and make your life better. And, but it really just doesn't do that. So I myself have never personally experienced it, thankfully, but, um, but I do know plenty of people that, that have. Yeah. I think also just like on the, like worrying about a bait and switch in general, I know that like, there's a lot of church culture things, especially like growing up in private Christian school where it's like, you know, confess your sins. And there's always this fear of like, okay, I'm supposed to do this, but also like, is this going to be used against me? Like, did you feel pressured growing up to, I don't know, be more vulnerable or anything than you wanted to be? I don't really recall that. I mean, one thing about the churches I went to, it's that you don't really talk about your sin. Like you're going to sit in a pew and hear sermons about it, but there's not really a confession of your sin to other people. And maybe it is a small town thing too, because everyone knows each other's business. And so no one talks about their business because they don't want anyone finding out because then you could be excluded or ostracized or whatever. But I do know people that have been pushed out of the church because they were having premarital sex and like their parents found out about it and they went to the pastor and told the pastor or, you know, someone got pregnant before they were married and they had to like, you know, confess and do these things or else they were going to have to no longer come to the church. And so I definitely had seen experiences with it, but not necessarily tied to being gay. Right. Yeah. So fast forward, you've, how long have you and Josh been together now? Like six years? Yes. We met towards the end of 2016, but didn't start dating for a bit. So it's been about six years. Aw, I, I remember meeting you for the first time. Aw. <laughs> me having to sing rap in the car because y'all told me that's the thing that y'all make everyone do. That's new. So it's I had to true. rap a song. Josh and I are such bullies. We were like, everybody that we meet when, when we hang out with them for the first time, we make them rap. And you were like, really? <laughs> but you and actually were I awesome. Out. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully I like rap. So oh, that was great. Okay. So yeah. So you've been with Josh and, and I know like his family is religious as well, not Baptist, but sort of a different type of evangelical what was that like, sort of like joining a family system that was religious again? Yeah, it's definitely tricky to navigate. You know, Josh is very open and vocal about things. So thankfully, he corrals a lot of it in. But there is a lot of just caution that I have to have when it comes to his family, you know, especially a lot of his like, more extended family. I just don't know them as well. And so, you know, I'll have some of them come up to me and just start talking about church. They're very heavily involved in it. It's a, it's a very big topic that they talk about. And, you know, for them, it's, they can't really understand, or they don't understand that that's not everyone's 
experience or everyone's belief. And so, you know, coming up to talk to me without asking me beforehand or, mm. or really getting to know me and just being like, oh, God, Jesus, church, all the things. And it's like, <laughs> I just sort of have to sit there and nod and be like, yeah, okay, uh-huh. But it does sort of creep in and different things too, all the way down to just white elephant. You know, we do white elephant every year or some type of gift giving game. And there's probably a good quarter of the gifts are going to be religious based. So, you know, you could get a mug that has a Bible verse on it or whatever the case <laughs> is. And so it's just like, I sort of always hope that I don't get something that's religious based because, you know, I'm not religious. <laughs> and so I try to diversify the gift pool with something that is very useful or fun or whatever. And it's obviously not religious based, but yeah, so it's, it's definitely there. Mm. And, you know, I think there's definitely sometimes where I'll be at a big family thing with them. And there's just some people who I know aren't going to talk to me. And I don't really know the reason for that. It could totally not be religious based. I don't know if that's because, you know, I'm just quieter. I'm not outgoing. Mm. But, you know, the core group of family that I do see a lot, you know, they always talk to me. They always include me in things. His mom will text me. Um, she calls me her son. So, Aww. you know, there's a lot of acceptance there, you know, that goes along with the religious side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that like you're feeling secure in kind of where you are now on religion. How would you describe your current like religious or spiritual status? Sure. So I'm not really a spiritual person. Um, I tend to be a lot more science focused, a lot more, if I'm thinking through things, if I can poke holes in it, then there's probably an issue with it. So if I'm going to have a belief, I'm going to run it through all of my tests in my head to see, does it hold up? Does it make sense? Is it rational? Is it all those things? So definitely not tied to any kind of organized religion, sort of my belief of God. I don't really believe that there is this singular being out there that's intervening in all of our lives and making these changes, you know, hearing our prayers and either granting them or not granting them or, you know, whatever the case is, I tend to be more of a believer of God being all encompassing of everything. So how the universe was created, you know, everything that is contained within the universe, maybe it was said motion by some kind of force mm -hmm. that that is sort of what I would call God, but not necessarily a single being that is sitting up there just listening to us. Yeah. When you encounter people now who are really tied to religion, how do you try to like approach them or like, how do you wish they would approach you? When it comes to someone who is very religious, I think a lot of it, I automatically am going to have my guard up. You know, I, I have no idea if they're going to be accepting or what they may say if I reveal that I'm gay, unless they already know it. But for me, I think a lot of the experience is that your religious beliefs when it comes to being gay actually has nothing to do with me. So if you find out that I'm gay, I don't 
really care about your beliefs of it. Like I didn't ask for your acceptance or your beliefs or where you stand on it. And I feel like that's such a common thing that even allies try to do. It's, it's, oh, I found out you're gay. Well, just know that I'm accepting of it, or I don't, I don't care that you're gay. Great. I didn't really care, but if you did care, we probably wouldn't be friends. And so it's, I think that it's people who are religious and also not religious. That's, they want to, to, show that they're accepting but to me showing you're accepting is more action-based than it is words you know mm. like show me that you're accepting you know include me in things ask me about my partner you know go experience things with me whatever that may be a gay bar or a pride parade or whatever and and right be it all without you know feeling like you have to just give words you know because words to me are just words you can yeah. say that and I don't really know internally what your belief is. You know, you could say, I don't care that you're gay, but they may find that they're disgusted by it or whatever, you know, or that they would never want to get involved with it as far as like being any kind of ally, you know, and just saying you're, you don't care that you're accepting doesn't automatically make you an ally. Yeah. Do you think that there's any way that religious people could maybe be sensitive to that? I think just being curious, not necessarily walking up and being like, oh, are you gay? But just having a normal conversation that you would with anyone else without one of the first three or four questions having to be, oh, are you gay? Just have a normal conversation with me as you would anyone else, you know? I will be trying to work through it in my own introverted way. And I may not be the most talkative. I might be talkative. Just depends on, on the vibe, I guess. But, um, you know, just make me feel like a person, like I'm a normal person. Just have a normal conversation with me like you would anyone else. It doesn't have to be about your beliefs on being gay or religion or whatever the case is. It's just any conversation you would have with any other human being that you would walk up and talk to. Right. Yeah. I think a big part of my distrust is that sense that like, I am becoming a target. Like when, when people ask questions like, you know, are you religious? And like, what do you believe? I feel like they're, they're calibrating their target on me to be like, okay, how can I convince this person to believe what I think they should believe? You know, like even aside from sexuality, it's such an uncomfortable feeling to feel like somebody is figuring out how to change your mind. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think I tend to approach it more me trying to figure them out. So I'd rather be the one asking questions, even just today going to get my haircut, you know, going from Texas to Washington, being in a more progressive accepting state. I still don't know, you know, how people react to it. And so it's trying to navigate it without giving too much information, but enough that they could pick up if they're listening and they're aware. I mean, mm. I gave some buzzwords to her today. She didn't really pick up on it at first, but then, you know, I mentioned about me and my partner moving here. And then at that point, she started telling me about like her friends that she made here that are like uh, a client she used to have. And her wife and, and things like that. So that made me feel, right. okay, this person is safe to talk to. Here's open book now. Here's everything right. that, about me being gay. And so it's just trying to navigate that to, to assess, is this person safe to even talk about it, to even reveal it? 
you know, so there's usually a couple of feelers I put out to see if they pick up on it or if not, or if they say something that's against it, then I know that's not a safe person for me to probably give this information to. They, they might sort of be safe, but right. it's not someone that I feel like is accepting and is asking because right. they generally do want to know and, and they're curious and it's not just a like, oh, you mentioned that. So now I have to ask you about it and go through that whole, you know, of the conversation. It's interesting that we're talking about like asking questions and like the different motivations there, because sometimes the questions like, you know, are you religious? That feels like somebody putting out a feeler to see if they need to witness to you. I'm trying to figure out like what the difference is between asking questions to see if you're safe with somebody versus asking questions to see if you need to like proselytize somebody. Yeah, I'm generally someone who steers clear of any religious questions whatsoever. So that's usually not a conversation I have with someone. I mean, even most of my like closest friends, I've never had a conversation with about religion. You know, I know that they're religious, but we've never had a conversation about like, where do I stand when it comes to religion? You know, Hmm. they may have asked some questions when it comes to like my experience with the church or whatever, but you know, there are people who may be religious who are working through it themselves, you know, about like, what do they truly believe? Like, is being gay really wrong? You know, do I really believe that that's what I believe? And so I think it's just really tricky to ask someone about it because you never know what they're going to say. You know, they could be all actions wise, accepting. They could always talk to you. They could always invite you into their home. But then the second you ask them, well, what do you think about me being gay? They could say, you know, oh, well, I think it's a sin or whatever. And that instantly changes the relationship. It instantly puts a disclaimer on everything. I think a lot of people have a hard time reconciling. And so it's just, I think it's just very tricky to, to have that kind of conversation with someone who is religious. Yeah. It sounds so like you avoid it so much that you might never know if somebody is like really accepting because you're just so afraid to ask. Yeah. And I would say most of my friends aren't religious. I do have friends who are religious, but yeah, it's not something I like to ask about because I don't want the dynamic to change. You know, me asking someone that I think it just opens the door for something that like as much as I don't want them evangelizing me I also don't want to feel like I'm having to convince them that me being gay isn't wrong because like if they're in that place where that's their belief me saying like you know like you saying that you think it's a sin and that you love me otherwise, or whatever the case is, right? That's, that's harmful to me. And I could say, yeah, that really hurts. But I don't feel like it's my responsibility to convince someone who is religious that me being gay is okay, because I'm okay with being gay. I don't really care if anyone else is okay with me being gay. Um, Obviously, if they're a friend, I would want them to be but You know, some of those friends that are more religious, I probably keep them a little bit further out than people who I know are more accepting or maybe aren't as religious. 
Do you wish other people, Christians in particular, had more of that live and let live kind of philosophy that you have? I think so. I mean, I think we're especially seeing it when it comes to politics and, you know, you think of don't judge your neighbor, those types of things. And that's all great for us to say, but that doesn't to me feel like it really changes anything because Mm -hmm. they are so set in their ways and that they feel like their religion or their beliefs are the absolute truth and everyone must live by it regardless of whether or not they believe it. So when it comes to politics, you know, we see a lot of legislation that's quote unquote biblical and it's using their paintbrush to paint across everyone's lives, regardless of whether or not that's their belief, because they themselves believe that that's the best thing for everyone and it's not. And so, you know, I definitely wish that more religious people were more aware of the damage that causes to people who aren't religious and that they could separate it and be like, you know, my religion is appropriate here. It is not appropriate in this other place. And so I therefore do not need to interject it. Yeah. Well, especially when it's like, when you're talking about creating laws and policies for people that don't even believe the same thing as you, that doesn't even make any sense. Why would you do that? I don't know. I just don't fully understand it. I I get it, but I, I can't understand it. Like I yeah. just, I don't understand how someone can center themselves and their religion so much. And it is just the absolute truth and that everyone would benefit from it, but that's not what it translates to once it actually happens. They can't see that that's not what it's doing. They still believe that great. Now, we have these laws in place and it's going to make things better and people are going to be better off. And it's not, it's, it's almost always the opposite. Yeah. It's like we get these blinders on when we're looking through our own worldview and we think, well, everybody else will appreciate this once they really understand it. Talk more about what you were saying just now about like decentering yourself. Sure. So I think it's, you know, pops up in a lot of different areas, you know, it comes to laws and legislation, it comes to even me mentioning a white elephant gift, you know, it's taking your religion out of the equation and looking at the specific thing that you are looking at and saying, what would make the most sense here, what would be most appropriate, you know, when it comes to laws and legislations, it means, oh, not everyone is a Christian, not everyone is religious. Mm -hmm. I therefore shouldn't be making laws that are specifically tied to a religion because people do not necessarily live by those same laws. Or a simple all the way down to a white elephant gift, maybe I shouldn't buy a gift that has some kind of religious thing on it or has a picture of Jesus or whatever the case is, Because maybe the person that's going to get that gift is not religious. Like maybe instead of buying a coffee mug that has John 3.16 on it, maybe I should buy a coffee mug that has something else on it, has a beautiful landscape, has a funny (laughs) saying on it, a quote from a movie or who knows. But 
it's it's taking it out of the equation so that everyone that is going to experience it is going to feel equally like good about experiencing it. That does seem very empathetic, that way of viewing and operating in life. Why do you think people who do have empathy don't seem to get that? Like they genuinely care about you. They love you. They want you to be happy, but then they're giving you a coffee mug with a verse on it. Like, how do you think that makes sense in their mind? I just don't know that they realize any different, you know, like when in your mind, your religion is so beneficial for you. It makes you feel good. It gives you hope. It gives you these things that you feel like that would also translate to someone else feeling those same things to get that. I just don't think that, you know, that is always the case. I don't, that's one of those things where I don't know if it's my responsibility to educate them on it, to be like going to that person and saying, Hey, like, I really appreciate the thought of that gift, but just to let you know, it was a little impactful in a negative way to me for these reasons. I'm not someone who's necessarily going to have that conversation unless it's like really severe and it's someone that I'm really close to. Yeah. Yeah. So something that we haven't touched on yet is like personality type and like brain type and how that affects people's religious experiences. And so we talked a little earlier about you and I both, you know, we're both pretty introverted. We're both pretty um, skeptical and maybe cynical. And I think that there's a lot of folks like us out there in religious communities what do you think is maybe different about the introvert or like neurodivergent experience in religion? Yeah, I think it's a very different experience. You know, thinking back to when you go to church and and specifically Southern Baptist, the ones that I went to growing up, it was, oh, we're going to have this five minute time period where everyone turns around and meets their neighbor and shakes <laughs> hands and whatever. And it was so like, I knew it was coming. And mm -hmm. I dreaded it every single service because I was going to have to turn around and be like, hi, how are you? Like have to go mm -hmm. through all those motions and uh, things that I, I'm not great at. I don't enjoy doing necessarily, especially right. people. I just literally have no idea who they are. So very much trying to position myself in church to where I'm around people I already know. And that mm -hmm. way I'm not having to constantly talk to or meet new people even all the way down to going to Sunday school, I dreaded going to Sunday school because, you know, it's usually based on ages. And so I had to go to an age group with people I didn't know. I had to have this really intimate study about, you know, whatever Bible topic it was, maybe have to talk about it, maybe be unexpectedly asked a question. And I really, really dreaded that part of it too. And so usually I would try to find an excuse to not even go to Sunday school, even if it meant not going to church because I didn't want to have to do that. But if I was made to go or I went, it usually ended up with me going to the class, crying because I didn't want to be there and then having to be put in a class with one of my sisters who were older. So I was constantly in 
groups of people that were not of my age because someone was there that I felt, you know, safe with or comfortable with. So it was very tricky to have to navigate when I don't feel like most of it is set up to be accommodating for someone who doesn't experience that well. Mm, I think that is, (laughs) that is like a part of religious trauma that I feel very strongly about because I think there are a lot of people that felt the way that you did about like the meet and greet and like, just like being forced to interact with other people in a very like extrovert or neurotypical way. And it's sort of like, well, you just need to get over it or like, oh, is that a sin issue? Is that why you're not feeling social? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or the the dreaded coffee and donuts after church <laughs> that you had to go to. Like one of the churches that I'd went to my freshman year of college, that was supposed to be gay friendly. I actually had someone that approached me and they're like, oh, you're new, aren't you? And I was like, yes. And so they're like, well, come sit with us. So I was like, oh, well, that's great. They're at least, you know, trying to mm-hmm. include me. And then it was like, oh, well, we have this coffee and donuts thing afterwards, which basically turns into this runway uh, of you having to walk down and everyone realizing you're new and like coming up to you and stuff. And it was just way too overwhelming for me. And so I was yes. like, yeah, I'm never going there again. So Did your churches ever do the thing where they were like, if this is your first time visiting, stand up and like everybody would like gawk at you? Yeah, I feel like I remember that. Or if you were new, they would make you leave the service first and make you go stand like in the foyer. And then that receiving line. Yes, like you're at a funeral. Like here's here's the family whose person passed. So everyone has to go through the line and and you know, so it was but when it comes to the church, you know, being a new person, it was everyone coming through and welcoming you and telling you how glad they are that you're there. And and so yeah, so it's just lots of very different experiences when it came to that. Yeah. I feel like some some basic inclusive practices might go a really long way in a lot of religious settings if like leaders didn't assume that people who are resistant to stuff like that that it's not like oh they're bitter or they're you know they've got a sin issue but it's like maybe that's just literally not how they like to interact with people Uh, I mean I find it even just in my everyday life that just because I'm not outwardly showing that I want to be there or I'm not overly participatory or whatever the case is right does not mean I don't want to be there or I don't want to participate I'm participating up to the level I'm able to I cannot go past that so if you're expecting me to go to this event the fact that I'm even there is a pretty big deal because I had to work up all the energy and everything to get there just because I'm not going around and meeting every single person or standing up whenever you're making all the new people stand up, I mentally cannot reach that level of participation. And so please do not force me to do that. If you force me to do it, it's going to essentially be harmful for me. Like I'm not going to like it. It's going to put a bad taste in my mouth. I'm never going to want to do that again. Yeah. You're not going to come back. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. How how much of your avoidance of church do you think had more to do with that than with being gay? I would say 
I would say there was a lot of it. I mean, like I said, as a kid, I would come up with every excuse under the sun to try to not go to Sunday school or even church because, you know, I just did not want to have to go and sit in this room with five other people and have this like really intimate conversation or things, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it was not something I wanted to have to navigate. I didn't have the tool set to be able to walk in there and navigate it in a better way. Like I could now more so than I could back then. So I would say there was a lot of, it just was not built to be a place that I could be overly comfortable walking in and participating at whatever level I could do that in. It had to match what they were providing. And if it wasn't, then it was, oh, well, are you not happy to be here? Are you not enjoying yourself? Are you not blah, 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 blah. It goes through all those questions of, and then you having to explain, you're just not really able to have that conversation because then it's like, well, how do I explain to them that I'm introverted or that, you know, I'm neurodivergent in a way to where I can't do these things in the same way, because usually that response is, well, just be more energetic or just blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, it's not quite that simple. Like, it's just a misunderstanding of people who are introverted or neurodiverse that it's not something you can just like flip a switch and act different and it'd be better. It's like, no, it's a physical thing that I cannot do. And, you know, telling me, oh, just blah, 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 blah. It's not going to make me want to do it anymore. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of like maybe neurotypical people who will misread anxiety as anger or like irritation. Cause like, I remember getting that comment a lot in church settings, people would be like, Hey, you look so upset. What's going on? You know, like, Oh, are you mad? You know, basically, I guess I have resting bitch face when I am anxious and it's like, I don't want to have to explain that to people like, no, I'm not mad. I'm anxious. You know, like I'm already anxious. Don't make me have to talk about it and explain to you what anxiety is. Yeah. And I mean, and I know for myself, when I'm anxious, I tend to get more irritable. So I tend to, (laughs) you know, it could come off that way. And so I can definitely understand someone misreading it, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm irritable because I'm anxious because it's a whole chain of things. And so it's like, It's more complex than just like not wanting to be there. Yeah, totally. I feel like I've learned new things from you just because you have a perspective that really resonates with me personally, but I'm also really excited for both of us to be in this like new stage of our lives and, you know, hopefully letting go of a lot of hurt and anger. Definitely for sure. And just as we continue to evolve as people and better learning ourselves, I mean, when it comes to my own deconstruction or even just more understanding myself of being introverted and neurodivergent and just being able to understand it better and see it coming and being able to have more tools in the tool belt to manage it or, you know, making sure that we're putting ourselves into situations where we are more comfortable and safe. And, mm. and I think that us being here will provide a lot more opportunity for that. 
Yeah. Just like being intentional about seeking that stuff out makes such a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's okay if you don't, but do you have any like funny or lighter like stories about church culture that you could share? So the only thing I could really come up with, it's sort of a funny story, um, a little less about church, but just me navigating it. So when I was maybe around 10 years old, I somehow got convinced to go to an RA camp, which that is a, it's Royal Ambassadors. It's uh-huh. sort of like Boy Scouts, but not really. It's it's basically their youth program and they would basically go on some kind of trip to camp or whatever the case was. So I somehow got convinced to go on this trip with a church I didn't go to because a friend that I had, I thought was going. So I show up the day that we were supposed to go and my friend was not there. So I ended up having to go to this RA camp with a complete group of people that I did not know knew no one there and we went to some kind of camping place it it had actual cabins and it was like a collection of different churches like Mm -hmm, RE groups going mm -hmm. to camp so it was a lot of different groups um and so I remember like calling my my parents on the payphone like as soon as I got there and I was like crying because I did not want to be there and I had to be there for like four or five days and I was like crying because I did not want to be there I didn't know anyone and my parents were essentially like, no, like, we're not going to come get you. You just have to like tough it out. <sighs> so I spent that week not really enjoying it. I don't really <laughs> remember a lot of the things that I did because you were you sort were of dissociating. <laughs> I was, I was so dissociating and I was like trying to, like you had assigned things like on Monday at 8 a.m., you would go do archery. And then at 9.30, you would go do not time. And then you would go to lunch. And so it was like a program. I remember being like, I'm not feeling this thing that we're doing. I'm just going to get up and walk out. So (laughs) I just got up and walked out. And every day I did that. And I would just wander around until I found something I wanted to do. And I would just drop in do a little knot tying and be like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not enjoying it. And then just leave. And I don't remember anyone keeping tabs on me. Well, good. Yeah. Or like trying to wrangle me probably because they really didn't even know who I was, but (laughs) yeah. So I, I don't really remember much of it. I just remember me being like, I'm not enjoying this. So I'm just going to leave and go do whatever else I want to do. Yeah. And that explains very much me as an adult. Like it explains so much of like, (laughs) if I don't want to be there, I'm not going to be there. So I'm just going to get up and leave. I probably won't say bye. I'm just going to exit (laughs) and you know, you'll hear from me later, but yeah. yeah, So not necessarily funny church culture, but a funny story in which I had to participate in church culture that I was not prepared for. Dude, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, that having to exit, it is a very strong, I would say fight or flight feeling. Mm. I'm generally not a fighter, so you're not going to see me fight. Mm. But once I hit that level, I physically have to leave or else I'm going to spiral. It's not going to be good. I, I'm going to have a meltdown. I need to exit. So, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Even me as a kid, you know, not really understanding it, I could at least listen to my body and myself enough to be like, you know what? No, I'm just going to walk out and do something else for now. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and that sort of sums up your experience with religion. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very, very solid through line across my entire life, I think. So yeah, well, we all have to survive living in the bodies and with the brains that we have. And it sounds like that is what has helped you survive. Yep. Well, Cody, I'm so glad that you came on the show and that we got to hear more about you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share some just personal stuff and, and my experience with religion. And, and yeah. I'm glad to, to hopefully have it resonate with a lot of your listeners. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, that's all she wrote for this episode. If you have any questions, lean not on your own understanding. Shoot me an email at Anna at empathyparadigm.com. Bye.